0: The economy has gone to shit again. I say this because there have been countless times to which certain generations have complained about the collapse of the economy and how new systems will be put in place that will ensure that it goes back to its initial strength. Or at least that people don't suffer the way they are right now. The economy has collapsed more times than the public can actually point out or say they know. The thing about economic indicators is that they are biased in their own way, including certain data that may prove itself a hindrance to the illusion of growth or the remediation of a collapse, is part of the consideration of exclusion. Like with the indicator of poverty rate, In some instances the measure of poverty does not necessarily include the inflation rate and the rise of the cost of living this would mean that the data used was not entirely biased however it was an incomplete data set that would mainly result in linear results in order to properly calculate the rise in the rate of poverty we should also include the factors that may be considered outliers like the rate of inflation, the cost of living, and more. Again, I say, the economy has gone to shit. Not for the first time either. The remediation of the situation will not be different this time around either. The answers to the questions will, again, most likely not be different. The call to action, the lenience, the destruction of lives, delays, death tolls, depression, health implications, and more. The economy and the state of affairs across the world has been at this point before. The purpose of reaching these so-called record lows may be different at every turn, but we have been at this point before. And... In order to reach their record highs, something has to give. We live by the words, if you fall a 100 times, you need to stand 101 times. What if I told you it was the same thing for the systems we find ourselves in? It won't help. It really won't. But let's still think about it and various are the questions that we may ask such as how many times has the economy collapsed as per public record? Has it collapsed without public knowledge or awareness? What were the reasons that led to the economic collapse? What nations own and control the monetary state of the world? What are the results of economic collapse across history? And how does that affect society? There are a lot more questions we can ask about anything and everything. And there are endless rabbit holes that we can find ourselves in. But it helps to filter down the questions. The purpose of this conversation is to give you a starting point for them. We won't know everything about everything. But the least we can do is have an open conversation about anything and everything. The reality is that all these conditions laid out in our societal systems affect us in ways we cannot imagine, or maybe in ways we always choose to ignore, in ways we choose to be oblivious to. So here's an extra question for you, a tad bit personal, if you will. As it stands today, right now, in the position you find yourself in, how has the current economic state affected you and your family post-COVID-19? How have you been? And how have those around you been affected as well? Well, you're thinking I'd like to welcome you to the Think Peace Podcast, where we discuss a wide range of topics that aim to question reality as we know and believe it to be. My name is Ian M. Simango, and in this episode, we're going to be talking about how the world and the web of economics has influenced us throughout history and continue to shape our lives. Before we dive in, Understand that you don't need to be familiar with the industry standards, details and terminologies of these topics. I aim to keep things concise and straightforward and will avoid using any unnecessary jargon. My goal is to provide you with accurate information that you can use to have engaging discussions about these topics. The goal of this podcast is to foster engaging discussions about the things we observe and experience. If you enjoy the show and find value in it, consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with people you believe will appreciate the content as much as you do. Before we get into the aforementioned questions, I would like to start with a question about the system in place. What economic system are we using? Have we used a different one before? And comparing all these systems we've used, which one is better? I won't be answering which system I find better, but I'm pretty certain you'll probably find support in the words shared about either one. Or, you know, maybe you won't. Moving on to the point about systems. Let's consider the very system we operate within. Currently, most nations navigate a hybrid system, often referred to as mixed economy. This blend incorporates elements of both market economies, where private ownership and free markets reign supreme, and command economies, where the government exerts significant control over production and distribution. While this system aims to balance the strengths and weaknesses of each, it's not without its flaws. Historically, societies have experimented with various economic models. Early civilization often relied on barter systems, where goods and services were exchanged directly, bypassing currency altogether. Feudalism with its rigid social hierarchy and land-based wealth, dominated the medieval world. Mercantilism, focused on amassing national wealth through trade and conquest, held sway in the early modern era. Each system, with its own strengths and weaknesses, shapes the lives of ordinary individuals in profound ways, therefore, one cannot necessarily dictate or say which system is considered best for a particular context or a specific country. I believe this is also one of the reasons why we have a mixed economy, a hybrid economy, if you will, which, as I have stated, in its own way, is a mixture of the advantageous factors of the economic systems we have created thus far. The mixed economy allows for flexibility and adaptation to changing circumstances. Now that we have established the economic systems we have created through our history and which economic system we used or economic model we use currently, let's continue to conversate about the collapse of the economy and its effects on the average person throughout history let's begin with the great depression the great depression occurring in the 1930s is one of the most powerful illustration of how brittle economic systems can be the world was thrown into a crisis of unemployment poverty and hopelessness due to a stock market bubble burst There were bread lines winding through the city streets, silent factories and a sense of hopelessness eroding society's foundation. Depression meant job loss, stomach aches and the embarrassment of standing in line for charity. In the face of economic ruin, the dream of economic freedom, once still is a ray of hope for many became a tragic mirage fast forward to 2008 when the subprime mortgage crisis burst rocking the whole financial system insatiable greed and careless lending practices caused financial institutions to fail setting off a chain reaction that destroyed economies Once again, the majority of the consequences fell on the average person. Savings vanished, jobs shrank like a drying leaf and homeowners lost their homes. It had appeared that the dream of financial freedom once again, home ownership and building stable household was, again, far off of a dream for many. But that's not where the narrative ends. The world was already struggling with the rising food prices, interest rates and the general expense of life when the COVID-19 epidemic casts its long shadow. This strategic assault on the middle class served to highlight the already enormous divide between the haves and the have-nots. Even prior, to the COVID-19 pandemic, we found ourselves having to feel its linear effects on the economy with the constant rise of interest rates, food prices, the cost of living, as well as the reluctance of corporations to provide fair wages and benefits to their employees to combat income inequality and ensure a stable future for the middle class. Some argue that the economic disruptions are mere hiccups on the roads to progress, but a closer look reveals a more insidious truth. Systems and market forces entrusted with our financial security are responsible for some of these disruptions. Institutions like Standard Chartered manipulated interest rates and foreign exchange markets, wielding currency as a power for the privileged few. This isn't isolated, it's a recurring theme in the global financial system, showcasing the power these institutions have as puppeteers. The burning question is. How do these institutions operate in the shadows while the public remain blissfully unaware? The answers partly lies in the complex financial systems, a web of algorithms and opaque jargon obscuring true market manipulations. Another part is the seductive allure of profit, drowning out the cries of those most affected. Their most potent weapon is audacity operating with a brazen disregard for consequences and relying on collective amnesia and trust they exploit. However, the tide is turning a tad bit, but it it is turning. The internet serves as a megaphone for the disenfranchised, amplifying the murmurs of dissatisfaction. A collection of consciousness is awakening and realizing the emperor has no clothes. This stark reality poses a profound ethical dilemma. It gives rise to many other questions that the majority of the economic players should answer for themselves to regain their power from those who abuse it. How, as the general public, do you go about acquiring the lost power? How do you go about gathering and organising to ensure that the recurring suffering of the masses does not occur once more? How do you begin to even answer the question of securing the future for your kids while you're held down in chains underwater and every time you find a way to cut loose, certain changes are made that cause more waves that slow or push you further down? Can we live in these systems that we have created? Can we prosper when the minority dictates who wins and who loses? Where do we even begin to correct the systems we find ourselves in? These are a few of the many questions that we should be asking ourselves. And one of the most important question is, what is stopping the majority? What is truly Stopping the poor from eating the rich. Metaphorically, of course, please don't go to your rich neighbours and start chewing down on their limbs. That would be bad. That would be a terrible form of cannibalism. But really, what is stopping any of us from, from standing up? What is stopping the working class from from putting the economy at a halt? Call it a silent riot, if you will. Call it a silent protest or a quiet protest, if you will. But what is stopping the majority of the world from simply not going to work, from just one day waking up and decide, you know what? Today, all of us, we are not going to work. If that would happen, the economy would definitely collapse. But what is stopping us from doing that? Surely the rich do know that most of these economies are technically, technically fueled and allowed to function by the majority and the majority which is the middle class. Surely they know that and surely they do know that once you stop going to work everything will collapse and the riches they have accumulated and continue to try to hold in their grasp will slip through your fingers so really again what is stopping any of you from stop going to work from crossing traffic for an hour all over the world Just cause traffic. I'm not saying do it. Don't do it. Do not do it. I'm not inciting anything. But if the major players of the economy are those who own nothing and are continued to be suppressed using certain economic systems and powers and every single thing you can put on the table, if all these things are used to oppress you, understandably uh, it's understandable you have to make a living you have to provide for your family you have to provide for your children you have to provide for many other people including yourself you have to ensure that you secure a future for yourself retirements funds and all these other things you have to ensure that they are there and at least you leave some form of legacy for your family but still 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 but still are we really that powerless Or have you really just given up the thing about power is that or the thing about being overpowered is that you are not overpowered unless you give someone the power to actually overpower you your power has been left in the hands of other people hence why they are able to overpower you so have we truly given up in securing our power back are we just letting everything happen in a whim a lot of others may say it's because honestly people are just tired working from nine to five eight to five in other regions 40 hours a week some a lot more hours others work two jobs one job pulling extra hours over time to a point whereby we have normalized one of the most one other I, i would say it's one of the most toxic factors of capitalism which is end of year fatigue that's not a thing that's just a thing we made up We honestly made that up to display how abused we are by the system we live in. We made it up. End of year fatigue. Seriously, it's not end of year fatigue. It's really not end of year fatigue. It's just fatigue. You are just tired. You're not just tired by the end of the year you are just tired you spend hours sitting in traffic going to work then you spend hours sitting in traffic again from work going home when you're home you have to attend to a lot of other things like your family your children maybe you're studying You have to attend to your books as well. Write your assignments, go to your exams, do your tests, go to your labs, do all these other things that you want to do or you need to do so that you can ensure that you secure a future for yourself or you at least secure a position in a high-paying career. A high-paying career for yourself. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying there are a lot of other people out there that are working, that have jobs, but are looking at a higher-paying career. A lot of people are transferring into tech now. Just to make ends meet. So... (laughs) Understandably, we are tired, but have we truly given up? Have we truly given up the acquisition of our power to ensure that we secure our future as a society? We are constantly faced with different wars, from racial wars, wars from racial wars to um, sexuality wars, to religious wars, and all these other isms that we have and continue to fight about, but neglect the one thing that we should actually spend most of our time fighting about. Living. The cost of living. The economy dictates that the cost of living is high when measuring it in monetary terms, but the cost of living is extremely high when measuring it in what you are giving up what you are actually giving up, which is your time and your energy. And most of the time, all of your youth, you are giving up all of your youth to secure a future. For most, a future you probably won't live to see or enjoy, for that matter. But it is what you're giving up. It is what we are giving up. It is what we have been giving up. And we are just letting it be. How sad it is the state of reality on this world. How sad it is to live as a human being on this planet. Ask yourself these questions. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this journey into the world of economic conditions. I know it can be a lot to think about, but it's important to question the reality we live in. I hope you join us again next time as we discuss the remaining condition in detail. The next topic to follow is focused on societal conditions. We'll be talking about the things like social structure, culture, and power. And in the end, I will illustrate how these aspects, when joined together, can help us understand the society we live in. In the meantime, I encourage you to keep thinking about these topics, and if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to share them. Take care.